Hey, thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. If you like this episode, please follow us and tell one of your colleagues about the interview you're about to hear or have heard in the past. We hope you enjoy our conversations and that you'll listen to others in our library. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please reach out. We'll do our best to incorporate them. Thanks again. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Vladimir Bosanets. I'm the co-founder and publisher of The Registry. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Jimmy Silverwood, the president of San Diego-based affordable housing developer, Affirmed Housing. Jimmy, as he's known in the industry in order to be distinguished from his father, the founder and CEO, James Silverwood, has grown up around real estate and from a very early age was exposed to the intricacies of the business. Today, the company's focus is on California and serving the communities around the major metropolitan centers. Our conversation will explore how this industry is faring today and how the new normal of our economy is impacting the business of affordable housing. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy. Jimmy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Vlad. Good. How are you, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, where do we find you today? Where are you? I am in San Diego. Okay. San Diego, is California, it, is it sunny? Is it sunny there? <laughs> it's it's always sunny in sunny, sunny Diego. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, well, Jimmy, just as a way of, um, you know, introducing yourself, I ask all of my guests to pr- just give us a little bit of a, you know, narrative about, you know, their background and sort of how they got to where they got to, right? Um, so give us a little bit of a sense of, you know, your career and kind of where where it all originated and sort of how you came to the position in which you are today. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so again, Jimmy Silverwood, president of Affirmed Housing Group. And um, I tell a lot of people that I was really born into the affordable housing industry business um, my father started Affirmed Housing uh, approximately 30 years ago. And, you know, growing up in middle school, high school, um, a lot of my jobs, uh, you know, especially during summers, um, you know, involved uh, working out at the job site. So I helped out, you know, doing a lot of maintenance at, at existing properties in our portfolio, but then also um, working in the field in the construction site. I wasn't I wasn't doing uh, jobs that, you know, I would consider fun at that age. I was sweeping and doing, you know, um, a lot of trash cleanup on the sites. And um, it was cool. I think, you know, to be honest, it it gave me an outlook of, you know, I need to I need to work my butt off, you know, because this is really hard work. And, and, you know, I need to find a way to maybe not have to do this work the rest of my life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not be affiliated with this company, right? (laughs) Here we are. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So, um, but it was, it was nice, you know, my, my father every once in a while would come out to the job sites and, um, you know, it was nice to see him as kind of the owner. You know, I was working for a lot of the general contractors at that time and, um, it was a great experience, you know, it, it really taught me, you know, hard work and, and how hard, you know, people really work to, uh, build these communities. Right. And the impact they had on people as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I gotta admit at a younger age, I didn't, 
I didn't recognize that as much. Um, it could have just been, you know, I didn't necessarily always have the opportunity to meet with the residents and things like that. Cause it was mostly, um, construction related. Some of the, some of the work experience that I got, you know, in middle school and high school. Um, but absolutely, especially now, right. I mean, um, the, the way I appreciate the business now is, is, um, a lot more than, than, you know, I knew when I was younger. Sure, sure, sure. So tell us a little bit about Affirmed Housing. Um, uh, what's the backstory of the company? Where is the company located? Sort of what, where it's the sort of, you know, geographic sphere of influence, if you will, and kind of what, what types of properties does it, does it develop? Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, headquartered in San Diego in Southern California. Um, so we started in San Diego and we still um, are headquartered here in San Diego. We have an office as well um, in San Jose, um, as well as we, we do have some folks who work remote in city of Los Angeles as well. But for our offices, currently it's in San Diego and San Jose. Um, we're established affordable housing developer again with 30 years of experience. Um, we financed over 2.8 billion in development in California to date. We've developed over 70 communities with 12 communities actively uh, currently under construction in California. Okay. And we've also developed everything, um, every different product type uh, in terms of construction. So anything from, you know, our typical kind of two-story walk-up suburban type apartment community um, to a 23-story high-rise in downtown San Diego that we had the opportunity to develop uh, in 2008. But, but all in the affordable housing space, right? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our communities, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the communities might have you know, a couple of market rate units, but for the most part, a lot of uh, the majority of our communities are a hundred percent affordable. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys typically do stuff on your own? Do you partner with other developers that do market rate things? Um, how, how does your company sort of view, view that? Yeah, we, we kind of do it all in terms of, you know, there's some developments that, that we, um, create partnerships on, um, especially, you know, if it's a space that's new to us. So we got involved in, um, supportive housing back in, gosh, it, it's probably been about 10 years. We've been developing supportive housing for formerly homeless individuals, as well as families, um, throughout California. And so, you know, in that space, we, we partnered with, um, what we believe to be, you know, the best, uh, service provider, um, particular to folks experiencing homelessness in California path, uh, people assisting the homeless and they're out of Los Angeles. So, okay. you know, some, some of the, sometimes it's driven by, uh, populations that we are serving through our communities. And sometimes it's, you know, other types of partnerships, like you had mentioned, we, uh, build inclusionary housing. So sometimes we'll team up with a market rate developer who maybe they're building a thousand homes and a hundred of those have to be affordable. Um, and we'll come in and, and produce the affordable and partner with them uh, to, to make sure that we hit their timelines on, on producing the affordable housing aspect. Yeah. So um, 
Jimmy, what is the state of affordable housing today in California? How would you kind of characterize it? Uh, you know, we don't have to go into the sort of background of sort of COVID. I, I want to ask some questions about that separately, but kind of if you if you were to you know either pitch somebody or tell somebody kind of where where the industry is you know today, how how would you describe it? Yeah, so I, I I kind of put that in two different buckets. One is as an affordable housing developer, um, you know, I look at kind of the development side and and what is the st- state of affordable housing production in California. But then on the other side, I look at it probably similar to what you were thinking, Vlad, in terms of um, our tenants, in terms of the demand for affordable housing in California. Um, you know, we thought it it could never necessarily increase more than it had prior to COVID. And, and, you know, here we are today. And I think, um, I think that it's, you know, even higher in demand than it was, you know, in 2019 or early 2020 before COVID. So um, for the first bucket in terms of kind of development, um, you know, we're in a pretty good place in California. We have, a lot of streamlining land use tools at our disposal, um, which is helpful because these streamlining land use tools allow us to avoid any sequel lawsuits that a lot of you know developers do have to deal with here in California. Um, and the streamlining bills also allow us to get to a construction start much quicker than going through a typical discretionary process where we're having to go to you know a planning commission, sometimes city council. Um, and, you know, ultimately getting uh, units built quicker through some of that legislation. Um, yeah. In addition, our, our governor, Governor Newsom, as well as the legislature, they've continued to fund at the state level uh, significant amounts of affordable housing programs. Um, and this is this is uh, much increased since Governor Brown um he he wasn't he wasn't pushing for affordable housing nearly as much as as the current governor is in in the state. So um, we're appreciative of that. And and one example is um, you know I think it's been in place now for two or three years. The governor and and the legislature approved five hundred million dollars per year in state tax credits, um, and this led to significant growth of affordable housing development in California. Us, as well as a lot of our colleagues in the space have utilized these state tax credits that weren't available previously. Um, and that's that's a big uh, aspect. It's it's helped us you know, finance a lot of our developments that are currently under construction. Yeah. And how has the federal government uh, responded to this need as well? Is the Inflation Reduction Act in any way helping Right now, what's happening? Uh, w- will you see some, you know, trickle down, f- you know, you know, dollars coming from initiatives brought on by that? I think so. Um, it's still early. It's still a little too early to tell. But we're starting to hear from some of the agencies, the counties that we work with throughout the state, um, that some of that money is going to trickle down. I know that uh, the president had made. Um, they had made a clarification that some of those funds could go towards affordable housing production. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's definitely um, important and helpful for us. I think it's a matter of each, 
each legislative body deciding what they want to do with the money. So um, ultimately, our hope is that California, as well as a lot of the counties throughout the state, do decide to utilize that for sticks and bricks um, for affordable housing. I think a lot of the programs that we saw definitely were geared towards tenants, um, you know, helping helping folks pay rent uh, to make ends meet. Um, and in addition, you know, uh, services, you know, especially in California, I think a lot of money went towards homeless services as well as, um, you know, shelters and things like that. And that's not necessarily our space. I mean, the service aspect is beneficial because the more services we can have uh, at our communities ultimately lead to uh, better outcomes for our residents. Yeah. During the COVID time, um, now we can sort of jump into that for, you know, really, really briefly. Um, I know that, you know, some of your colleagues in the industry, you know, had a hard time. Um, uh, you know, there was, there was certainly at least initially some challenges around, you know, collections of, um, of, uh, you know, rents and that kind of stuff. Um, how has the industry re- rebounded from that? Have, have you noticed, whether it's your firm and just others in the affordable housing space, were, were they hurt by that? Um, was it a, a, a short-term hurt? Um, um, maybe longer term? I don't know. What, what, how, how has that impacted you, know, you guys? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, like a lot of real estate development companies with large operating portfolios, you know, that was kind of the the number one concern initially. Right. How, how are folks going to pay rent if they're not you know, going to work? Um, and so, you know, ultimately that during COVID, it actually. Um, our properties fared fared well, and I think it's really a testament to a lot of our residents who live in affordable housing here in California, in that a lot of folks um, they have pride and and they're going to find a way to to pay their rent. I think that's a, that's definitely what we saw. I'm sure across the board, you know, in in depends on what type of industry for for rent collections, it might have looked differently, but. Um, yeah. you know, for us, we, we had a couple of different buckets, you know, we had our family projects, which, uh, didn't have any, uh, subsidy helping them pay the rent. And so, you know, ultimately collections on our family properties were a little bit less than, you know, some of our properties have, uh, what's called, uh, project-based vouchers. So through HUD, um, and so those, those are always paid because they're government, you know, sponsored in which sure. they'll, they'll pay the rent. And the tenants will pay what what they can of that um, ultimate rent. So yeah, we kind of saw we saw differences dependent on our product types. But ultimately, I think you know when push came to shove, people were paying their rents. I think what we're seeing now, though, um, is a little bit you know we definitely have some some increased aging collections, which. I know I've heard a lot in the market rate industry as well here in California that they're starting to see um, as some of this uh, government assistance has started to dry dry up. But um, that's something we're you know keeping an eye on. Um, but I think ultimately our tenants continue to pay rent because they recognize that uh, affordable housing is important, you know, and allows them to um, you know live their lives and spend 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 money 
rather than spending 50% of their income on rent, you know, they're spending 30% of their income living yeah. in, at our communities. Yeah. I, I know that, uh, putting together an affordable housing deal, you know, even pre COVID was, was, was tough. You know, it was, uh, you know, the, you know, the capital stack of, you know, lenders and, you know, participants in the, in the sort of financing of the deal was, was extremely difficult, m much more so than market rate housing. I would, I would argue, have you seen since COVID that even get more difficult or has it sort of stabilized a little bit? Uh, what, what's been your experience? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, you know, I don't know necessarily if the capital stack has, has changed much, um, you know, I would have, I would have hoped the capital stack would just go down, right, and less, and, and have less, less uh, sources in, in our deals, um, because that definitely adds to complexities as well as, um, you know, ultimately a lot of attorneys on our closing calls. But um, you know, I would say that uh, the capital stack didn't change much, but the underwriting aspect has, right, in which. Our lenders and investors are extremely diligent, even more diligent, asking questions and more questions and more questions to ensure that we've really thought through um, the underwriting of the deal and, well, what's, what happens if this subsidy goes away and what happens if these residents can't pay rent? So a lot of those questions come up, you know, at the closing table. Um, yeah. Uh, and and I would say the majority is just the the amount of due diligence has just increased, um, and and that's been you know one of the I guess challenges when financing affordable housing deals, um, and a lot of that has has to do with COVID. I think as we as we enter a, a little bit of a economic you know turbulent time coming up here with interest rates and other things, um, you know we could expect the same that our investors and lenders. And partners are going to um, be very diligent, making sure that um, you know we've we as the sponsor have thought through all of these different you know what if scenarios. Right, right. Have you noticed companies um, leave the industry or some new players enter uh, as a result of kind of the last couple of years and everything that's gone on throughout the market? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't follow it too much, but um, I'm, I'm not too sure if the industry had had lost many players during COVID. Um, but to be honest, like you know, comparing it during COVID to even now with some of the economic turbulence that that we're expecting, I would probably expect more players to fall out of the industry now than than during COVID. But again, that's not necessarily something. We, we track, I think there's a lot of different um, affordable housing developers that have entered the space in the last couple of years. I know, you know, an example is in the city of Los Angeles, they had a $1.2 billion bond measure um, that was particular to housing folks ex experiencing homelessness in LA. And it was, it was a voter approved measure. And, you know, I bring that up as an example because that, that brought in a lot of new players who perhaps weren't in the affordable housing field and, you know, saw an opportunity that they could help, you know, the city and the state, um, you know, with some of the homeless issues. So I think sometimes it, it just depends. I think sometimes it's 
it's funding that can drive, you know, new players coming into the industry. But, um, you know, it is a complicated industry. And I think, you know, any, any turbulence, whether it's COVID, whether it's interest rate rise, whether it's construction costs rise, um, you know, people will fall out. But a lot of the, a lot of the bigger players, you know, a lot of our colleagues, um, there's a lot of, you know, great affordable housing developers in California. I think, you know, out of, out of the whole nation, I would, I would argue we have, you know, the best, uh, developers in, in California. Yeah. There's been a lot of stories, obviously, around, you know, the supply chain, and we don't have to go into specific details about that. But I am curious um, if some of the, you know, maladies that have been felt in other parts of the, you know, commercial real estate space, in terms of increased construction costs, you know, having a hard time, you know, finding some, you know, you know, you know, commodities and goods and that kind of thing. How has that trickled down into your space? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that's a great question. You know, during construction, I think like all construction companies, development companies are experiencing really throughout the nation is that, um, you know, you just never know exactly what the next supply supply chain issue will be causing yeah. a delay to your development and construction project. I think we've seen such a wide variety of things, you know, there was a point in time and, and maybe we're continuing to do so that we're buying the appliances, you know, towards the very beginning of construction when you typically wouldn't order those until the end. Um, and, you know, we're especially looking at materials that uh, potentially would hold us up from occupying the building because what we definitely don't want to have is a completed construction project that, is waiting on one one material and we can't get, you know, the city to sign off on occupancy. So, um, you know, our focus especially <clears throat> has been on some of those materials that could hold up occupancy. But, yeah, you name it, you know, I, I talked to our senior vice president of construction. He, he heads up our construction, uh, our general contracting arm. But then also, you know, we still hire third-party GCs for some of our work as well. And, you know, I mean, he has a lot of stories to tell for sure. Yeah, we've had, we've had, we've had, <clears throat> you know, issues. I remember hearing one story you told me about the switch gear, which is ex especially critical for your permanent power for development. And again, that's one of the items that you need in order to get, you know, your building signed off to occupy. And the switch gear had, <clears throat> you know, just crazy delays. And part of it was, um, they didn't have the trucks to actually um, ship it, ship the sw switch gear to our site. So our senior VP of construction, Micah, he, he went out there out of state <clears throat> and actually went, went to the place and he found a way to get it delivered to our site. So, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to um, pull out all the stops, you know, um, to, <laughs> to meet yeah. the schedules and, and prevent delays. But it's definitely something that we're continuing to keep an eye on. And, um, you know, for us, I think the, the, um, you know, one of the benefits has, has been just getting the stuff to the site earlier, right. you know, making sure that you're getting, uh, ordering things much earlier than you would otherwise. And sometimes that does require us to put money out sooner, but it's definitely been worth it. 
it's almost like one of those things where you like you got to know a guy that knows a guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> a little bit um, to sort of get to the bottom of these things. Um, um, have you have you seen um, any kind of creative uh, solutions emerge over the last couple of years? So some of my you know acquaintances that are not in the industry will usually talk about you know things like oh, all these you know offices now are vacant. Can we just convert them to housing, right? And I think that's a very sort of simple kind of question. Um, you and I know there's a lot of zoning and you know that kind of stuff. That's you know part of that. It's not that easy, but um, but I am curious. Have you seen any kind of you know creative ways of you know trying to to do affordable housing that that maybe you know weren't considered in the past? Yeah, I I think so. I think <clears throat> I think it's especially prevalent. The discussion's especially prevalent right now because we have this huge shift in you know, office activity and, and how people, uh, how much people work in the office and, and how much they work remote. I think, you know, that's been a huge driver, I think, of the discussion around office conversions, because, you know, three, four years ago, um, you know, I don't think there was as much of a lack of demand. And I, I say lack of demand, I think it really just depends on an area that you are, because here in San Diego, we've had a huge influx of, you know, Apple um, has been buying a lot of property out here, as well as biotech companies. So we've, we've seen an increase in demand in in office space and campus office space. Um, But there are markets throughout California that I'm sure have seen a decent reduction. And so what that what that helps with is, you know, hey, if we're not using office, let's find a way to, you know, potentially utilize it towards housing, right? We're in a housing crisis in California, and that that makes sense. Um, I say that be- I say that it's become much pop more popular because of that. Our company did do an office conversion back in about 2010. It was a historic building in downtown San Diego, and. Um, there's definitely there's there's a lot of challenges with converting offices. One is just sure. you know a lot of times the floor plates, right? I mean you're you're basically building um, within the shell. You're building a new new project, right? Um, and so that comes with you know a, a complete revision of the MEP systems and how you're going to service each floor. But then also from just building out the units and figuring out where your corridors are going to be and things like that. Um, but I, th- I think it's exciting. I think, you know, at the state level, um, there's two state bills currently that uh, look to be signed by the governor um, any day now. And one of those uh, was championed by the California Housing Consortium. And it um, basically allows commercially zoned properties to um, be converted to affordable housing by right. So, um, that's not only going to help with potentially these office conversions, but then also, you know, old dilapidated commercial, you know, properties, um, that historically maybe didn't allow for housing, um, hopefully now will again upon the governor's signature. So, um, that could be exciting as well. Um, going back though, to the conversions, um, our company has probably done three to four hotel conversions in the past, um, okay. you know, five, five, six years. And so, 
I think that's definitely an opportunity, especially when we're talking about housing, um, because there, you know, that's also a space that during COVID, um, there was a huge lack of demand for hotels. And so, um, you know, the state uh, had their home key program, which was um, converting hotels into housing specific for um, people experiencing homelessness in California. But then outside of that, you know, our company, for example, is under construction on a, a senior housing development that will be a conversion of a Radisson hotel here in San Diego. And those conversions are, are less costly than, than trying to convert office. But yeah. I think we need, we need any and all tools, you know? And so, um, I think our company will definitely still be looking at office conversions as well. I, I saw the state of California set aside in their budget, uh, specific monies towards, uh, hotel and office conversions. Um, so that's exciting and, you know, potentially something that our, our company might tap into. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. We've noticed that, um, you know, across the West Coast, uh, I live in Seattle. I know the city of Seattle, for instance, has um, acquired some, you know, older hotels, right, and converted them to, you know, housing uh, for 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 that purpose. Um, and and I do feel like there was an acceleration of that kind of during the COVID time, right? And I'm curious, you've identified it also as something that that's that's you know happening. Do you think that might be? kind of a way for like a second life for some of these properties or a third life perhaps, right? Um, do you see more of that happening throughout the industry, not just on the West Coast, but maybe across the country as well? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think it depends, you know, and I think in, in other states that, that haven't necessarily been doing hotel conversions, I think there's probably even a greater opportunity in those states. I think you know, in California, maybe even Seattle, I mean, California really leaned into it um, from the state state level as well. And so I'm just, I'm not sure how many more opportunities there will be um, because, you know, I think it, it, it will be, I think, driven by the economy as well uh, right. because ultimately the price of these properties, I think, is a pretty big driver. Um, when we're looking at, at hotels, you know, we're trying to <clears throat> we're trying to find hotels where, you know, maybe they have convention space and we can convert all of that into community building space and service space and property management offices and things like that so that we're not having to construct a new building to do so. So, you know, those those are kind of hotel opportunities we tend to look at in which, you know, it's not going to necessarily be a total gut of the entire hotel but something that, you know, you could ultimately um, convert and, and hotels that actually have more space that can be converted into, um, you know, community support space for the development, whether it's sure. market rate or affordable housing. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, Jimmy, you've, you've grown up with this industry, as, as you've told us in your, in your introduction, Um you uh, are obviously a different generation than your dad. <laughs> um, as you kind of look at the you know evolving you know space of affordable housing and, and just your perspective on sort of life and business and you know real estate from a from a you know millennials point of view, how how do you think this is this is evolving? Um, maybe you know 
you and your dad have these conversations at you know dinner tables sometimes. Maybe you fight. I don't know. Uh, but I, but I would love to sort of you know hear you know what what are some of the thoughts that you know you have just from your perspective and kind of how this this is evolving and 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 you know some some insight into into how you're looking at this in, in industry in general. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Vlad. Um, you know, I think I think it's interesting because <clears throat> I think the affordable housing industry. Um, especially, I mean, my experience in California has been that um, it's a very progressive real estate industry. And so, you know, some of the, uh, I would say, I mean, in terms of pushing the envelope, whether it be, you know, trying to find ways to increase diversity amongst developers throughout California, um, finding out ways how to ultimately get people um, interested in affordable housing space, you know, earlier on in their careers or even life. Um, You know, I talked to so many professionals in the affordable housing industry and a lot of people just stumbled upon it, right? Maybe they were working as a broker or they were working, um, you know, with a market rate developer. Uh, Maybe they were working with a city and, you know, a lot of people, didn't know about affordable housing space or that they could ultimately uh, lead a career and a successful career um, through, you know, the development of affordable housing. So I think that's definitely, you know, an opportunity in our space and something that me as, as kind of a millennial will be pushing for, for our company to make sure that, you know, we're kind of on the leading edge of it all as well. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things I think of is is the changing work environment during COVID. Um, you know, I think there were some discussions between me and my father uh, during that time, and we didn't always agree. And I don't know if part of that has to do with, you know, me being a millennial or not. But, um, you know, I was certainly more amenable to remote work. I think he had, a, he had at, at times a little bit more of a traditional, you know, stance, um, on folks being in the office. And, you know, what that led to for us is, is a perfect mix. We actually started hybrid, a hybrid schedule in June of 2020. Um, and as you know, a lot of the big companies have now gone to that, um, you know, after being remote for a long time. So, so I like to, I like to think that we, uh, started hybrid before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) and and it's been it's been a great it's been a great mix i think our our staff and team uh who are just wonderful um i think they really appreciate you know that flexibility we still have people that come to the office every day you know for me for example i have a two and a half and four and a half year old sometimes they're both at home and you know, I, I, I need to be in the office. I, I really can't work from home. And, you know, I'm sure that's the case for some people. And there's other people who love working remote and they think that they can get, you know, more produced remote. And so it's just been a really good balance. I think our, our team appreciates the flexibility and appreciates the trust. And, um, you know, it's important for us and me as well as our president to ensure that we're still building a culture and, and sometimes I think in-person is important for building, you know, a company culture. So, um, yeah, I, I, 
hopefully that kind of answers part of your question, but I think hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, looking a, at the way we work and yeah, absolutely. And then obviously, you know, being a millennial, it's funny. I, I think me in particular, you know, I'm a little bit more in tune to people's emotions and things like that. You know, I don't know if, um, that's, I don't know if that's my generation, but I, I hear it is, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, like a, I'm like a elder millennial. So I'm on the top end of it, but, um, you know, that's, that's important to us. We have a company coach and, and he's been working with us for, you know, probably about 15 years. So that's something that was already in place when I, when I came to the company and we talk about everything in terms of communication and how how our team can get stronger, how we can communicate better. Um, and I, I found that to be extremely helpful, too. And I, I think that's something that I'm really going to continue to lean into. Um, and, you know, as I continue to lead the company forward. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Jimmy, what what excites you the most about affordable housing for the future. Yeah, I think that the, the changing nature of the business um, and, and finding new ways to move projects forward, I think encourages me and excites me. I think that, um, you know, at our company, we have a lot of smart people and we have a lot of smart people in our industry. And so just, just finding new ways to do things, I think, to, to ultimately produce housing um, excites me. Um, I'm also encouraged again by our team at Affirmed Housing, but then also all the other people in the industry who ultimately, you know, really work their butts off um, to make our state as well as, you know, other states an equitable place where housing and having a roof over our heads is of greatest importance. So I'm constantly encouraged. I go to these conferences and, you know, it's an industry that, you know, it, it can be competitive, but at the same time, everybody's friends, uh, everybody shares ideas. We have a lot of different boards and, and, you know, again, the California Housing Consortium has all different types of developers throughout California working together to, to move the state forward. So um, I think that also definitely excites me is continued uh, participation uh, with a lot of colleagues in the industry who I think are, are brilliantly smart. What do you think will be some of the biggest challengers for the industry in the next, you know, 24, 36 months? Um, <clears throat> wow. The next, the, the next six months, I think, interest rates. But m- moving past that, um, I know I've talked to a lot of people and some folks think that, you know, interest rates will start to stabilize hopefully next year. I think it just depends on how quickly we can you know, tame, tame inflation here, but I think longer term, probably construction costs. I think that continues to be one of the largest impediments. You know, if you look at construction costs over the last 10 years and the increases, I, I just, I find it difficult to imagine that, um, it can continue at that pace. And so, you know, I think in our, in our industry, we are fortunate enough to, to have, um, the ability to fill gaps with, you know, government subsidy, whether it be, you know, city funds or county funds or state funds. Um, if we didn't have that, I think, you know, we would hit points in time that we could come to a st- standstill. So 
I do think construction cost is is probably the number one. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um, Jimmy, if you were to give somebody a piece of advice about getting into this business, um, somebody who's thought about it, um, what would be what would be the wise words you would you would share, and you know, to help them think about this as a as a serious career? Yeah. So, I mean, there's 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 a couple of different things that I recommend to folks who who want to get involved in the space and or who just want to participate, you know, I think that, you know, one is um, trying to attend and, and be vocal at your next neighborhood meeting uh, when a housing development, whether it's affordable or market rate is proposed, um, you know, finding ways to be vocal, I think, through what gets approved in, in your neighborhood. I think those are ways that you could participate. Um, finding ways to volunteer locally in your community um, checking in with the city or county that you live in, if you'd like to participate or volunteer at local affordable housing communities, perhaps through their service programs. Um, and then for folks who are interested in a career in the space, I think it's just ultimately talking to, you know, going and learning more, whether it be through a conference that you could participate in or, um, you know, whether it be through, um, a local affordable housing group that you could go and speak to. I think it's just reaching out to folks who are in the space and ultimately, you know, at least in California, they're kind of all over it. I'm sure in other States as well. Um, so really just reaching out again, I think one, one thing that's interesting is in terms of education and, you know, having specific programs and classes for affordable housing, it is pretty unique. And that's something our industry has been talking about a lot is trying to find ways to insert, you know, our business and and real estate niche into um, curriculums, you know, whether it be, you know, at the high school level or college level, I think that's something that, you know, our industry is recognizing that, you know, we want people to know about know that they can be involved in affordable housing development um, as a career, you know. And yeah. I think to some people that really um, holds true if you know whether they've been impacted in some way or, or or form from affordable housing. We have a lot of folks who work with us today that lived in affordable housing growing up, and it's especially um, important to them. So I think it's just. You know, trying to find ways in, in in that area is definitely something the industry's been talking about a lot because ultimately that will naturally make our industry more diverse as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for all this uh, amazing feedback. This was very informative and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to hearing more from, from you and your podcast. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. Mm -hmm.